great to see all of you here today. <clears throat> if you haven't already, get you some welcome home cards to pass out. Just use these uh, as you see fit. Invite people to church. I preached last week uh, that God has got he God has His hand on this church and has given us favor. This is a season of growth. I think that everything we put our hand to is going to prosper. That's my opinion in Jesus' name. And so pass out some cards. Give somebody a welcome home card. We want to invite as many people as we can to our Sunday gatherings, our Wednesday gatherings, to anything else that we have going on. Uh, Valerie and I have been on the road with Alexander. We're a little weary. We were in Cape Girardeau, Missouri last night about, I don't know, 5, 6 o'clock, something like that, and uh, headed back from St. Louis where Alexander was checking out a college that he is going to be attending uh, starting in January, and so it was a whirlwind trip, uh, but very, uh, very good, very good trip. A lot of direction was gained, and uh, we felt more at ease uh, about, about the, the the transition coming up. We got family coming in this week. We've got uh, all kind of good stuff coming down the pike, and uh, I, I want to preach uh, some more on this idea of welcome home. I shared my vision for Life Point for the rest of 2016 and into 2017 last week. It can be summed up in two words, welcome home. And as I mentioned, we're in a season of growth and favor. God's hand is upon us, especially in the area of soul winning. And we looked at the parable of the great feast in Luke 14 where the king had invited people to his son's wedding. And people said, I will go, I'll be there. But when the actual event showed up, the ones who said yes were no-shows. So he invited the poor and the maimed and the weak. And these folks came and the king saw there was still room in the house. And so he sent his servant out to the highways and the byways and said, compel them to come. And last week we saw that those who showed up really wanted to be there more than anywhere else. We saw that the father was determined to have a full house. Full in more than one way, full of people, full of diversity, variety, imperfection, full of people. And we saw that the father was not picky about who he invited. And we looked at statistics for Ascension Parish, and we understand there are other parishes around, but we focused in on Ascension. We looked at different people groups. Church attendance is so low in our area. And we uh, just looked at the fact that this is our day everybody say our day and we introduced the welcome home cards get you some we'll get more if we need them pass them out invite somebody we had somebody here wednesday night from a welcome home card invite people to church and then we also have our super sundays including our christmas service december 11th friends day march 5th easter april 16th we're wanting record numbers of people in these services. We are also implementing some other things. I taped them all over the pulpit last week, things that we're going to be doing. And today we're going to be looking at Welcome Home again. I've got a brief reading. If you would stand for the reading of the Word, it's great to see all of you. Good to be back here where everybody knows how to cook. Not only were we in a place where... Good cooking is a rare find. We were at a university where they just don't even work at it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Eating some of those meals. It's good to be back down here. John chapter 4, 
verse 35. And I'll talk some about this story. But John 4.35, do not say, Jesus says this, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white, which means ripe for harvest. Let me read that again. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. In other words, do not say the harvest is somewhere down the road. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look. Quit being distracted. Take a look around you for the fields are ready. They're ripe. There's a harvest out there, he says. Somebody says, welcome home. I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much, God, for some vision. I pray that you'd anoint me to speak, God, with an energy that comes from the throne of God and anoint us to hear what you want us to hear, God, and give us some direction. Speak to our hearts, Lord. You know how to take this word and break it and distribute it as each one needs it, Lord. Let that be done in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Say welcome home. John 4 is the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. It's a familiar, famous story. If you've been around church or went to Sunday school, you've heard this story. Jesus was on his way from Galilee into Judea. And as any self-respecting Jew knew in his day, they would avoid going through Samaria, which was the quickest route to go from Galilee into Judea. But Jews of this time would avoid the quickest route going through Samaria at all cost. Yet Jesus insisted on going through Samaria. The King James says that Jesus said, I needs must go through Samaria. The reason that Jews of this day went out of their way to avoid Samaria was because when the kingdom of Israel was divided, Scott, as we looked at in our Bible study a couple weeks ago, when the kingdom of Israel was divided and you ended up having the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, uh, the northern kingdom was Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah, and that northern kingdom tried to sync up Judaism with those old familiar bull cults, the worship of the golden calf, and they tried to sync up with uh, the worship of the one true and living God, and, and they tried to sync up with the worship of these golden calves. And it really got even more complicated as they dove into this because they refused to make pilgrimages to Jerusalem to worship in the city of David. They became isolated, divergent, and they were eventually judged, and most of Israel was taken into Assyrian captivity. Not everybody went, though. Some remained behind, some stayed back, and those that stayed back ended up intermarrying with non-Jews, and they, they tended to lose their identity. Now, Judah Judah had problems of its own and uh, eventually was taken away into Babylonian captivity, but they never intermarried with their neighboring cultures and people groups. They they. They did not do that, but they refused to forgive Israel for 
were intermarrying and syncing up with these other religions, and they they ended up hating what was left of Israel, and they considered them to be unclean, and they considered them to be half-breeds. These were terms they used back in that time, and the result of the isolation and compromise on Israel's part, that northern kingdom was the ten tribes of the north only considered the first five books of the Old Testament to be legitimate. They dumped the prophets and the Psalms. They didn't like the references to David and to Jerusalem. They worshipped their capital, Samaria, and specifically Mount Gerizim, which is mentioned in John chapter 4. The hatred between Judah and Israel, which became known as Samaria, was so extreme that when Judah began rebuilding the temple, Solomon's temple had been destroyed, and when Judah came back into their land and they began to rebuild this temple, Israel, the, those, those people that had intermarried with other faiths and, and, and people groups, and they offered to help rebuild the temple. But Judah hated them and said, no, you will not have any part in this. And so what Israel did, what Samaria did, was they killed a pig and threw a pig carcass onto the temple uh, mount in retaliation which, as you know, was really, really an insult to any Jew, especially at that time. They threw a dead pig onto the Temple Mount in retaliation. Obviously, Jews did not have anything to do with getting the mascot for uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks, right? (laughs) Go Tigers. I, I try not to mention it every time, but... Samaria was located between Galilee and Judah. And in the time of Jesus, it was customary for Jews to to travel the Transjordan Valley. They would detour around Samaria. And Jesus knew all of this history, knew all of this bad blood, knew all of this stuff. He was raised in this environment. And yet he said, I must go through Samaria. I'm just going to tell you straight up, Jesus was a goer. Jesus was a goer. If anybody was a goer, my Jesus was a goer, and he still is. He will go where the religious say you can't go. He will go where the traditional will not go. He will go through uh, to, to places where people will question his reputation, but you'll find him right there in the middle of all kind of craziness and all kind of people that have lost their way. Jesus is a goer. And aren't you glad that he's a goer? Because he's a goer, he was able to go to you, right? (laughs) It even got worse for Jesus, though. Not only had he gone and dragged his followers, his 12 men with him and whoever else might have been traveling with him, not only had he gone and, and dragged them into the heart of Samaria, But the woman with whom he strikes up a conversation was a woman who had a bad, bad, bad reputation. This is a people group with a bad reputation. And this is a woman with a a bad reputation amongst people who have a bad reputation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you had a bad reputation But then some of you had a bad reputation even among people who had a bad reputation, right? (laughs) She had a bad reputation. She had had five husbands, and she was living in adultery with a guy 
when Jesus strikes up a conversation. So not only does Jesus go to a place nobody else would go, he starts talking to a woman nobody else would talk to. She was out there at that well at a time when other people wouldn't be there. I think it's amazing when the religious people say, you've gone too far. And, and when those who have it all together say, you are not worth the time it would take to mess with you. Jesus said, I must go to that person. I've got to get to you. i got to find a way. I will find a way to get to you. We sing that song. I love it. You thought I was worth saving. Woo! So you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping. Don't y'all like it when I sing these songs? So you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die for. So you sacrificed your life so I could be free, so I could be whole, so I could tell everyone I know. Listen, what a Savior we have, amen? What a Savior! Woo! And I'll tell you something else, Life Point. We got to go. Jesus has a lot of people in these cities that need to know they are welcome at His feet. They are welcome at His presence. I don't care what the religious say. I don't care what those who have it all together say. I got a Jesus who knows how to reach down into the uttermost and save the guttermost and reach down and make a difference in people's lives that everyone else gave up on. Hallelujah. And we don't need to worry about our reputation. We didn't have nothing when we first came to Jesus in the first place. That's part of the problem with religion is that we come to Jesus with nothing. And we forget, we forget where we came from. That's what I felt when we were worshiping just a few minutes ago, that, that we forget, we forget the pit from which we were dug. You see, w when I came to Jesus, I didn't have nothing to offer. I didn't come to him with my good works. I didn't come to Jesus with my, my, my stack of, of, of chips, my good behavior chips, and I brought them to Jesus, and I said, here's why you should accept me. I didn't have anything, nothing. What happened was Jesus changed my life anyway. And, and listen, when Jesus gets involved in your life, it will change your behavior. It will improve your behavior. So, yes, my behavior improved, but that's not why Jesus loves me. And that's the problem. We get hung up and think he loves me now because, see, I've been a good little boy. Or I've been a good little girl. And we forget. No. He loved me when I had nothing. And all that stuff that he has brought into my life that's made it better is still not what I bring to barter for his presence. He just loves me in spite of myself. I still got plenty of baggage, but Jesus still loves me. We got to remember there's people out there that need to know Jesus loves him. You can come to him just as you are. Amen. Just as you are. In January, Lizzie and Brendan are going to Oman. Oman is listed, if you go research it, as 100% Muslim of one variety or another. 
Now, there are some naturalized citizens, at least in my research, that are Christians and some other uh, religions, but they don't document technically the percentage of their uh, population that is religious or what religion they are. But from what I saw, 100% is Muslim of one stripe or another. They're also going to Turkey, which is 98% Muslim. They're going to Kazakhstan, which is 75% Muslim, and several other Gulf states. And we're going to cover them in prayer, and we're going to help fund their mission and their trip over there. But let me ask you something. Why are they going? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus has a lot of those people that he has his hand on, and he's got his eye on, and he's sending them to bring the light and to bring the gospel and to bring the good news because Jesus is a goer, and the body of Christ needs to be a goer as well. Amen? we got to be goers. We've got to be goers. We want to shine the light. We need to reach out. But we not only reach out globally. We go here. There are misfits. Oh, I don't need to sing that song. No. No, it's, it's from that You're Without a Santa Claus movie. <laughs> there are misfits. There's an island of misfits. You know what I'm talking about. The, there's the, the burned out people. There's the messed up people. There's the, the down and outs and the up and outs. There's people with all kind of issues and and. There, let me just say this. If you're in this house and your family has written you off, I want to tell you something. Jesus will write you in. Amen? If you're in this house today and, and your world has just fallen apart and everybody's written you off, I serve a master and a savior who will bring you in and say, welcome home. I've got a place at my table just for you. Yeah, we got to go, but there might be somebody in this house today that needs to hear that. When people say you're crazy and there's no hope for you, I want you to know Jesus is saying, I got a room, I've got room in my house. I got a place at my table. In my father's house. I, I, I was thinking about that this week. Our many mansions, many, we always uh, associate that with heaven and with, you know, big mansions like the governor's mansion and, 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 and the White House. We had an election this, this, uh, this week. And, and uh, uh, you know, people, people are uh, uh, kicking and screaming or they're rejoicing and gloating. Uh, there's all kind of different uh, perspectives. Whatever your perspective is, uh, the Trumps are moving into a big old mansion. Now, they got a few themselves anyway. But the thing is, we are, I've associated that in my father's house from many mansions. Dwelling places is the wording. It, it, I don't want to take your mansion away. It, I believe we ought to, you know, like, we, uh, thank God for that mansion over the hill, right? Just build my mansion next door to Jesus, etc. But here's the deal. In my Father's house, in the house of mercy, in this house right now, the body of Christ, there is a place for you. There are many places, and he wants his house to be full. Amen? Just build my mansion. Next door to Jesus. Anybody know that song? Am I the only one? And tell the angels. Well, here's the deal. Yeah, I'm coming home. I'm not going to say it. No. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
You may have been written off, but I serve a Jesus who will write you in. He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. The message puts it this way. Are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live free and lightly. Amen? Jesus knew the difference the truth would make in this little woman at the well. He was looking at her, obviously, but he was looking through her. He was looking to her, but he was also looking through her. He was seeing beyond just her life being changed into the lives of those that she would change. Her influence would be felt far and wide. We see the story. We've been going through faith that shakes. We see the story where Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts 8, uh, we have the story, uh, verses 4 through 8, therefore those who scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Philip went down to Samaria preached Christ to them, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles that he did. Now, we know that when Jesus was done with this woman at the well, you know, the conversation went like this. He looked at her, whom everyone else had written off, and he said, listen, I want you to pour me a glass of water. She said, how can you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, to pour you some water? And he begins to unwrap a truth to her that, that there's a love that God has for her. And he says to her, you, he said something about her husband. And she said, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus reads her mail. He says, yeah, you're right. You've had five, and you're living with a dude now. And she's like, I perceive you're a prophet, you know. It, it's amazing to me how Jesus really, you know, we hide things from him as if he doesn't know it, you know. <laughs> we, it, you might as well just get straight up honest with God. He knows anyway, right? We're hiding it like, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm going to hide this from. from. She, he said, go get your husband. She said, I don't have one. That's, she's hiding, right? He's like, I know you've got five. You've had five, and you're living with a guy now. And she says, you are, I perceive you're a prophet. Okay, I understand. Like, uh, So she, they began to have this conversation. It moves, it moves on, and eventually when he's done, she goes into her city, 
and she tells everybody in the city. Now, this is a woman with a bad reputation among people with bad reputations. She goes and tells him, you've got to come see. I met a man. He told me everything I've ever done. Y'all know what I've done. And he told me everything I've done, but he didn't know me, and he was a Jew. He's different. I think he's the Messiah. As a matter of fact, Jesus, from Jesus' lips, he had never told anybody that he was the Messiah until he met this one little girl at the well, this misfit, this messed up chick, this broken chick. He, te- girl, t- don't, she, tell, he tells this girl, he tells this woman, this female, this adulteress, he said, I am the Messiah. Now, John the Baptist had seen this and mentioned it. John had said it, but it had not come from the lips of Jesus until he was with this little girl. And he said, I who speak to you am the Messiah. He revealed she didn't have a seminary degree. She was not allowed in the temple. She was on the back side, on the other side, on the wrong side. She was messed up. And he said, let me tell you a truth. Let me reveal myself to you. And he revealed himself to her. And like I said, he wasn't just looking to her. He looked through her because she ran out and told her whole city, come see a man. And they all came and gathered. And so fast forward into Acts 8, Philip goes into Samaria, which was already prepared by this woman. And when he gets there, there's tremendous success. People are baptized, and, and, and the, the demons are cast out of people. It is an incredible display of the miraculous power of God. They had already heard of Jesus from this woman. And then when Peter and John and the rest of the apostles hear that the word had been preached in Samaria, they said, have they been filled with the Holy Spirit? And they said, no. There's a lot into that. In other words, these people had been baptized. They had repented. There had been miracles. There was joy. But there was not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there was a way that they could tell. They knew they had not been filled with the Spirit. They, they, had, they knew this. It looked like, I mean, to us today, we'd say, oh, I'm sure they have. I mean, you know, they were baptized. And they've got great joy and there's miracles. But they had not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this is not a message, my message today, but they had not been baptized speaking with tongues. And so they, Peter and John, listen to this. This is amazing. Are you with me? They, they said, have they received the Spirit? And they said, they said, no. And they said, clear our schedules. We have to go to Samaria. Why did they say that? Well, first of all, everybody should be filled with the Spirit. You've got to be. Secondly, they said they knew the words of Jesus. Now, John and, and Peter and the apostles, they had left Jesus to go buy some food when Jesus was having this private conversation with this woman. So Jesus had to have told them about it. John writes the story. So he had heard from the lips of Jesus. Let me tell you what happened behind the scenes when you guys were off fetching some vittles. And so he tells him, and he said it. 
he said to the woman, he said, the father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He says it's not all about Mount Gerizim or the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's not a place per se, but it is an experience I want my followers to have. It is the the Father is seeking for the moment, the day when everybody is worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And there's a lot packed into that. But one of the things is, I want them to be filled with the Holy Spirit because it cost me my, 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 my death and resurrection. And Peter and John are like, did they receive the Spirit? No. Then we've got to go straight there. And they went there and laid hands on everybody, and they were filled with the Spirit. They were baptized in the Spirit. How come that all, why did that all happen? Because Jesus said, i got to go to Samaria. Because there is a messed up woman that I'm going to change her life and rock her world. And she is going to be a light to her entire people group. Let me tell you, there are people that you and I traffic among. We're not human traffickers, but we are busy in life, going arm in arm and just busy, just crisscrossing in life. And, And we're coming across people every day that Jesus has his eye on them and he's looking through them. If I can get to them, I can change their people group. I can get into that community and I can make a difference. There are students that you know. There are single moms and single dads that you know. There are people who have gone through divorce. There are people that are married and happily married, but they just don't know Jesus. There are, uh, th- there's people of all ethnicities. There are people of all religious backgrounds, and, and Jesus is trying to break into their life. Jesus is a goer, and we got to be goers. Amen? Jesus loves people. About Jesus and people and getting Jesus to people. People matter. People need the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. It's an amazing story. One of the most unique sporting events in the world did not start out as a sporting event. I've got a picture of a dog I'd like to throw up on the screen right now. Picture of a dog. Anybody know who that is? You can barely see it at the bottom. Now that is a stuffed dog. Don't be scared, children. That is a stuffed dog. That's not Cujo. That is Balto. That's that's the real Balto. They stuffed. Balto. But the story behind Balto is really amazing. There was another dog, Togo. He's not in there, but these two dogs were part of an, an incredible story. Each year, riders and their dogs race more than a thousand miles for several days through the Alaskan snow from Anchorage to Nome for the Iditarod, the famous dog sled race. But Iditarod started as something very serious. In 1925, hundreds of children in Nome had been exposed to diphtheria. At this point in history, children around the world died from this highly contagious disease because widespread vaccinations had not yet been introduced. The only serum to combat the disease in this outbreak in Alaska in 1925 
was far away in Anchorage. To get the serum to Nome quickly, it was first carried by train to Ninana. Then teams of riders known as mushers and their dogs were strategically placed along the path, and they carried the serum to Nome via a relay. There were more than 150 dogs involved. 20 mushers were involved in the efforts that became heroic. It became known as the great race of mercy. And with passion and intensity, the mushers hurtled thousands of units of life-saving serum across the Alaskan countryside, and they arrived in Nome in only 127 hours which is a record that stands to this day. By combining the right medicine with radical effort, they were able to save not only hundreds of kids, but thousands of others in Nome, Alaska, who very easily could have died of this disease. But there were heroic efforts. Balto ran the last of the the route uh, into Nome and became very famous. As a matter of fact, there's a statue of him in Central Park in New York. And Togo, though, ran the most difficult uh, leg of the race. It was a, uh, 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 he ended up having to run double, pretty much. And I'm talking about dogs died, mushers got frostbite, uh, brutal conditions, uh, storms and, 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 and blizzards and, and over frozen lakes that, a squall was tearing up the ice, and they risked it anyway. And, and much, much sacrifice went in. We, I, show that map. I just want to, I don't want to stay here too long, but the map, they had to go from Anchorage all the way up to Nome, and they ended up there starting with the dogs and Iditarod, and they brought them all the way through that long and arduous journey in the winter to Nome, Alaska. Here's the deal. Here's the bottom line. This was a race of mercy. But now it's been reduced to a sporting event. And church has a way of doing the same thing, right? This is a race of mercy to get the gospel to people who are dying and going to hell and need the serum of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But so much of what happens in church is no, no longer a race of mercy. It's a sporting event, right? It's just a spectacle, and there's no meaning behind it. I don't want to ha- let that happen to Life Point, guys. We have got to get our heart. We've got to get our passion in the right place. It's about getting Jesus to people because people matter. No matter how broken and no matter how messed up and no matter how uh, uh, our reputations are on the line and risky it seems. We've got to get Jesus to people no matter the cost. High risk people. We've got to get Jesus to people. That's what it's all about. It's a race of mercy and it is not a sporting event. Amen. Jesus went after the, I need I needs must go through Samaria. I have to go. Jesus, Jews don't go through Samaria. I go through Samaria. I've got many people in that city. And I see in Acts chapter 8 where Philip is going to go. And Peter and John are going to go. And that little woman is going to, she's going to sow the seed and prepare the way for a revival. Our best days are ahead of us, church. 
I don't care who got elected. If your person got elected or the other person would have gotten elected, listen, it doesn't matter. There, our best days are ahead of us. Jesus is coming back, and he will have a church. He will, I believe there will be a revival before Jesus splits the eastern sky. Amen? Stand with me right now. Stand with me right Hallelujah. Can you lift your hands to him right now? Just love him for his kindness and for his mercy. Hallelujah. 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 I'm telling you, the Iditarod, you know, Sarah Palin's husband was a big champion on that race. And there's celebrities that go up there and there's commercial endorsements of every kind for that race. It is such a commercialized event. It's a big sporting event. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And the television cameras are there, and it's a beautiful sight. And those Malmute Huskies are beautiful, and they run. But there's no lives at stake. There's no lives being saved. It's just a spectacle. It's just a competition to see who can run it fast and run it looking good in Red Bull paraphernalia and, 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 and some of those other uh, Nike uh, goggles and, and uh, Patagonia and whatever, all, Oakley, and that just who can look the best and who can get there fast and do it in style. But there's no lives being saved. Church, we have got to understand this business of saving souls is not about how good we look. It's about reaching down and getting your hands dirty and getting involved in somebody's life and, and, and letting the Lord use you to minister to somebody. Going into a home, inviting somebody out to eat. And so I got twofold here in my closing. And that is, first of all, if you think that Jesus has written you off, I got good news for you. Jesus has written you in. Hallelujah. No matter how messed up your situation is, how many of you, when you came to Jesus, you, you got it all together immediately? Can I see your hand? Like, you got it all together immediately, never made a mistake again. I don't have my glasses on. That's probably a good thing. Because if somebody did raise their hand, I, I might have to call you out. Ain't none of us, when we came to Jesus, got it all right from that moment on. We started getting a few things right. Slowly but surely. Who are we to say somebody's too far out for God to reach them? Somebody's too far gone. If words mean anything, if this story means anything, when Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. And he goes to a little woman at a well in the middle of the day. She's there so nobody will see her. Nobody will give her any lip. Nobody will give her a hard time. And Jesus says, hey, little lady, why don't you pour me a glass of that water? If, it, if that story means anything, it means this. Jesus can save anybody, no matter how messed up. Do you know how awkward it would be for her whole family to get saved and them all to go to church together? 
somebody's like, uh, yeah, well, do you know brother so-and-so? Yeah, well, yeah, he kind of used to be my husband. He's my third husband. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. That's okay. That's all right. Well, what about brother so-and-so? Yeah, well, he is my second husband. Or they're like, do you know so-and-so? Well, that was, she was one of my, she was, she was my wife, you know, before she was these other four guys' wife. You know, I mean, it's just like, it's awkward. Children, we don't know all that. It was, it was messy. We look to have perfect church. Ain't going to have perfect church. You find a perfect church, don't go there. You'll mess it up royally. Pastor going on cruises and vacationing all the time because he has to do no counseling or doesn't have to wait. Everybody's perfect. You'll never find that church. You'll never find that church. I'm just telling you, Jesus can save no matter how messed up you are. And then the second thing is this. we got to have a heart that's open to reach out to the broken and the messed up and tell them, welcome home. You're welcome in this house. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how messed up it is. You're welcome in this house. I put my money where my mouth is, church. I believe that with all of my heart. I wouldn't try to start a church. I wouldn't have worked with some of you, right, if I didn't believe that. And Jesus wouldn't have worked with me for sure if it wasn't the truth. Jesus works with people who don't have it together, and he makes a difference in their lives.